Righteousness is not like uh, clothes that are appropriate only to wear on certain occasions. Imagine wearing a clown suit to your best friend's wedding. That would be embarrassing. Embarrassing. Save that for a kid's birthday party or disguise and prize. Imagine yourself on the beach enjoying the hot sun and listening to the waves, and you notice in the distance your husband is trying to find you, trying to locate you on the beach, and he's dressed, you notice, that he's dressed in moon boots, snow pants, an extreme weather parka, down mittens, and one of those fur-lined trapper hats. Do you know what I'm talking about? With the big fuzzy rabbit thing hanging out? And you're like, that's my man. That's my man. Now, would you motion for him letting you know? Because if you do, you're alerting everyone else on the beach that, yes, that man right there is my husband. Would you do that? Now, you'd at least be asking some questions. (laughs) You know, what's going on here? On the slopes, hey, you're, you're okay, but on the beach, what's, what's up with the outfit, Sir Edmund Hillary? You know what I'm saying? So you remember those uh, old hockey masks, the white ones, uh, with the holes and they're creepy looking from some horror movie or something? You might not want to wear one the next time that you go into the bank because I think if you wore one of those, you would put some of the tellers a little bit on edge maybe for, for that. So on a frozen pond, you're probably okay. In a bank, you're not doing so well. Righteousness is appropriate attire everywhere. Righteousness is always fashionable. Now, you won't read this in Field and Stream or GQ or Glamour, but Isaiah talked about being clothed in righteousness. He said this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. God clothes his children in the garments of salvation. He covers them with the robe of Christ's righteousness. Christ gave himself as a ransom for us in order to clothe us in his elegant Righteousness. God has adopted us from the slums, stripped us of the filthy rags of our sin, cleaned us with his grace, and clothed us in a costly and stunning robe. God will not have any of his children dressed in dirty old rags. So he provides them with the adornment of his son to wear every day of their lives Brothers and sisters, we are well-dressed. We are well-dressed for the grocery store, our school, family reunions, our workplace, our church. We're even well-dressed to go to bed at night because God clothed us in Christ. We're ready then for righteousness. So as well-dressed brothers and sisters, believers, what should we wear to church? Uh, More than a brand name, more than a style, Paul told the Colossian church, put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and above all, love. See, there are two kinds of fashion here, uh, the stuff which covers the body and the stuff that covers the heart. And you'll see very quickly today that the fashion of the heart is so much more important than the fashion of external appearance. 
Let me show you a few things from uh, 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 10, about what well-dressed men and women of the church should be. And we'll start with the men. Well-dressed men of the church should be, number one, men of prayer. Men of prayer. Verse 8, I desire that in every place the men should pray. The word then connects Paul's desire back to what he just wrote in verses 1 through 7. The basis for Paul's call of men in every place to pray is God's compassionate and evangelistic heart and Christ's sacrificial death as a ransom for all. And you might remember from the Malachi series that God said this to Israel, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name. Like fragrant incense, prayers will be offered to God from men in every church when those men revere and adore the one God, one mediator, one ransom, one gospel, and one mission. Then they will be men of prayer. Verse 8 is a rally cry for men to lead in church through prayer. Men, I, I think many of you are intimidated to pray publicly in worship. Maybe you feel inadequate. Maybe you're not good with words. Maybe you assume you'll sound ridiculous. Whatever the reason, please take this to heart. You can pray powerful prayers in church. They can be simple and short, but they must be heartfelt and offered by faith and with confidence in the sovereignty and goodness of God with a desire to see the will of God accomplished for His glory. How powerful are the prayers of simple men who know God Listen to what Jesus said, and take this to heart, men. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You see, all of us believers are are simply immature, helpless children approaching our Father with precious babbles of requests. None of us are eloquent before the Lord. Prayers are not powerful because they're eloquent, flashy, grandiose, or long. Fancy pants words, all right, can be wickedly prideful and, and unhelpful. Prayers are powerful because they're spirit led. Bible-informed, Christ-centered, and whole-hearted petitions. Prayers are powerful when they are permeated with trust in God. Men, don't ever, ever try to be someone that you're not. Just pour out your heart to God because you trust Him to be your good Father, to give you what most fosters closeness with Him. Men, we must blaze the trail of prayer because we have a mediator who makes sure that our prayers get through. Men, is the gospel producing prayer in your life? Well-dressed men of the church should be number two, men of dependence. 
A man of prayer is a man of dependence. He knows, his, he, he knows he's weak. He knows he's needy. So he depends on the spirit in prayer. Pride kills awareness of need, dependence, and prayerfulness. And instead rouses blinding self-sufficiency, independence, and prayerlessness. The strongest men are men who depend upon God for everything in prayer. Well-dressed men of the church should be number three, men of holiness. Listen again. I desire then that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands. Holy hands. That's an important phrase. I think Paul's primary point is to challenge men to live holy lives. See, a man's hands are holy when a man's heart is holy. And a man's heart is holy when God cleanses the man and when God clothes the man in the righteousness of Christ. In the Old Testament, people readied themselves for prayer by washing their hands in pools that were scattered throughout the temple and their clean hands signified something important, a clean heart, a clean heart. Men, do you realize That by giving himself as a ransom for you, Christ made you holy. You are wearing the righteousness of Christ. You have put on Christ. Therefore, do as Paul said in Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is how grace works in a man. This is how grace works in you. To kill sin in your life. You clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. The kid on the playground wearing the Jordan jersey, he wants to be like Mike. All right? And the man who puts on Jesus Christ wants to be like Jesus Christ. And, And here's the awesome part about this. As the man puts on Christ, Christ empowers him to be like him. Those kids aren't playing like Mike. Jesus can empower you men to live like him, to be like him. Then your holy hands are going to go up because he's working at you. How can you and I pray with confidence if we are playing around in the mud of worldly pleasures? James pleaded, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. You sinners and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So guys, if right now you are living a life unworthy of the robe that you wear, flee to Christ, receive his cleansing, and pray by lifting holy hands. Maybe the best thing that we, we could do as men is to confess our sin to God and plead with God to make us the men he desires us to be. Well-dressed men of the church should be, number four, men of peace. Paul desired that the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger. Scripture says that the godless in heart cherish anger. I guess if you cherish something, you're not letting go of it too easily, are you? It, It also says anger lodges in the heart of fools, But Scripture also says whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. The mighty. 
Patience and strength is uh, patience and peace is strength for a man. Anger in the heart of man is like a boulder in his path. It diverts him from the trail of corporate prayer and worship. The Ephesian Christian men were likely struggling with this, struggling very deeply with anger, which was diverting them from corporate worship and prayer. In his letter to the Ephesians, church, uh, to the Ephesian church, Paul wrote this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. I think these guys were struggling. Anger is not suitable for a man already wearing Christ's robe of righteousness. It's like putting on rags when you're already dressed in the righteousness of Christ. A a man does not look good in anger. Now, I have felt the rush of anger, and so have you, men. You know what I'm talking about. And sometimes it comes as a complete tidal wave in your life. But it does not have to control you nor destroy you. It does not. The answer to anger is simple. Philippians 4, 7 says that the peace of God will guard you. The peace of God will guard you. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. that's, That's supernatural grace for Jesus to give us peace. This is how grace works. Jesus gives his peace to you as a, as, as a gift to replace your anger. So give him your anger, receive his peace, and you will pray without anger. Well-dressed men of the church should be number five, men of unity. Paul also wanted the men to lift holy hands without quarreling. Like anger, quarreling impedes prayer and worship, yet unity encourages prayer and worship. Like one drop of poison makes a drink lethal, quarreling is toxic to prayer and toxic to worship. Psalm 133 verse 1 is absolutely right. So encouraging. It says how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Unity, and it is, it's such a sweet thing. Men, we must strive to resolve our disagreements. We must strive to resolve our conflicts by applying the gospel to them so that our prayers will be effective. By nature, we are not men of prayer. Dependence, holiness, peace, and unity. But the beauty of the gospel is that Christ gave himself as a ransom for you so that you would be a new kind of man. This kind of man. This kind of man. Jesus Christ is the perfect man. As mediator between God and us, he intercedes for us with holy hands. Study his life in the gospels and and you'll see his prayer life in communion with God or dynamic, unceasing prayer strengthened him. He always depended on the Spirit of God. He was so holy that when he touched something unclean, instead of becoming unclean, he made the unclean clean. When, when the anger and quarreling raged against him, he maintained perfect peace and unity with God, and he died in order to give other men that peace and that unity with God. Men... He has dressed you in his righteousness. Is he not able then to make you a man of prayer, dependence, holiness, peace, and unity? It is his design. 
He has dressed you well and He is working in you to make you this kind of man. Now maybe you're harboring anger. Maybe you're rolling in the mud of worldly pleasures. Maybe you've been a prideful man living by the power of you. Well, it's high time that you recognize those things don't fit you. You look ugly in those things. You're well-dressed in Christ's righteousness. Christ has broken you from the power and dominion of sin. Christ will help you be a prayerful man at church and beyond. The Spirit is working in you men to make you this kind of man. Now submit to the Spirit and work along with the Spirit to become this kind of man. Well, what about the women? My beautiful sisters, there are glorious, glorious things for you in this passage. You are beautiful women, but not because of how you dress yourself, but because of how Christ has dressed you. He has dressed you in the finest clothes of his righteousness. So, well-dressed women of the church should be, number one, women of prayer. Women of prayer. Paul's use of likewise connects his comments for women back to his comments for men. He's still talking about corporate prayer and worship. Women are an integral part of the church, just like men are to pray and avoid certain besetting sins that, that Paul has said, so are women. It seems that Paul was instructing women on what they should be like in corporate prayer and worship and everywhere else. Women, as you treasure the one God, one mediator, one ransom, one gospel, and one mission, you will be women of prayer. God is working to enhance your beauty as a woman. So well-dressed women of the church should be, number two, women of elegance. Women of elegance. Now, here's what I mean by elegance. Women dressed in the righteousness of Christ are elegant women who dress, move, and behave with dignity, decency, and grace. They're countercultural. They dress with prudent and unpretentious style. Elegance is not decadence, neither is it ostentation or opulence. Elegance is dignity, decency, and grace. This, this is tremendous beauty advice. You didn't even have to pick up Cosmo. In fact, it's better you don't. All right. This is great beauty advice for you women. Paul uses uh, the Greek word cosmeo related to our uh, word cosmetics. And it can refer to adornment or decoration or even putting something in order. Paul was telling women of the church how to decorate or put themselves in order. He said women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. Now, what is respectable apparel? Uh, Chanel? Prada? Versace? What is respectable or Prada? No, none of those things. Respectable apparel is modest, well-ordered, proper, and sensible apparel. Respectable clothing shows self-discipline. In other words, a woman of God should dress with elegance, dignity, decency, and peace because, or grace, because elegance is fitting for corporate prayer and worship. Now, 
This allows for beautiful, tasteful, discreet, and appropriate fashion that does not distract from worship and is suitable for godliness. Ladies, this gives you freedom. This gives you freedom, but it also encourages wisdom. You don't have to feel guilty uh, for wanting to dress elegantly or fashionably. God wants you to think about your clothing, but to think about your heart more. Well-dressed women of the church should be, number three, women of modesty. Women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty. Now, that means more than what you think it means, okay? Um, there, there aren't a lot of rules here that Paul gives, so the Spirit is essential to know what this means and to lead you. You need the Spirit, ladies, to apply this. In Roman society, it was fairly simple. The men wore togas, and the women essentially wore two outer garments, stolas and palas. A stola was a, a robe-like garment, and a pala was a head covering. Women would differentiate style and status by fabric, dye color, and jewelry decorations, but the greater mark of status, status was actually a woman's hair, and we'll get to that in a little bit. When we read the word modesty... Our minds likely go to avoiding short skirts, plunging necklines, and a tight fit. That's likely where ours go. A different culture today than it was back then. And those, those are certain, I don't want to minimize any of those, those are certainly very good things to consider, but they don't fully capture Paul's thought here. Modesty is a posture of a woman's heart that accompanies and informs her outward appearance. She should clothe herself in respectable apparel, but she should also clothe herself in modesty. The two correspond. The word eidos, or modesty, is a hapax legomenon, which means that this is the only place that it appears in the New Testament, so we can't cross-reference this to get a sense of what it means. And so other ancient sources help us understand modesty, as it was used, um, that modesty is decency of the heart a sense of good shame and self-respect. Modesty shows restraint, dignity, honor, and discretion that protects a woman from excess. I like how Dr. Hendrickson put it, quote, modesty indicates a shrinking from trespassing the boundaries of propriety, end of quote. Modesty can also have sexual overtones as well, so So it strives to avoid even hints of seduction, even hints of temptation, even hints of provocativeness. So modesty goes much farther than simply avoiding revealing clothing. It avoids flashiness, pretension, showiness, and pride. It strives to show love and respect to others, not wanting to indulge vanity nor to dishearten others. Listen to this, I think it will help you. An immodest woman finds her identity in her external appearance, which makes her vulnerable and insecure. Whereas a modest woman, while interested in her appearance, finds her identity in Christ, which makes her strong and secure. A modest woman knows she is beautiful precisely because Christ has adorned her well with his righteousness. 
And therefore, she will allow the gospel to dictate her attire, what she puts on her body. A woman clothed in Christ's righteousness will be very interested in her outward appearance corresponding to God's love for her and her love for God and her love and desire, her desire to love and to respect other people. She will adorn herself in a way that beautifully showcases her submission to God. Ladies, you know, strict rules and measurements would, would be easier in some cases. But it wouldn't get to the heart of the issue. How do you know what is modest? The Holy Spirit will help you answer that as you seek with all of your heart to be a modest woman. He will answer these questions for you. Wisdom in this area overflows from an intimate relationship with God. If you measure your own beauty by how God has beautified you, and you want God to to make you modest in heart, then God will help you be a modest woman because that's your desire. So let me press in a little bit here. Ladies, how much has Scripture informed your wardrobe? How much has prayer been a part of your shopping? Uh, Have you sought out the counsel of other godly women and your godly husband or dad or friend, someone? I I think women should help keep each other accountable in this area. I, I think women need to help one another know what modesty is, how to be a modest woman. And I know that's tricky because you sisters, who knows? Oh, don't you be getting up telling me what I can wear and can't wear. I mean, it, whoa, easy. Let's all try to pursue Christ here together as ladies. But I know it's tricky and, and I know it takes great care, but living the Christian life is hard, is it not? These are not easy things for us to to do. We need God's help, we need the Spirit's leading, and we need each other to help create a culture of modesty here. Talk about these things, all right? I'll just add this, not in the notes, this one's free, but Christina has asked me before, is this okay? You see, I think think what that is, is the Spirit working in my lovely wife where she cares about these things. I think that's God's grace. I think that's what grace looks like. Well-dressed women of the church should be number four, women of self-control. Self-control is a beautiful fruit that the Spirit grows in a woman. And then as she exercises it, it showcases the glory of God at work in her. It's beautiful. Verse nine, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. This is the spirit that God has put inside of you, daughters of God. Sisters, desire self-control. And our father will kindly provide it for you so that you have it to use and apply when you dress yourself. Self-control means a woman uses sound judgment when shopping for clothes. She thinks sensibly about what she wears. She considers decoration of her body a matter of love for God and love for others. 
Now, self-control is broader than just style. It includes expenses. Oh, yeah, I'm going there. Women, is the amount of money you spend on beautification honoring to God? Now, there are, there are beautiful sisters in the church that don't have money to spend. They don't have a lot of money. Now, please be careful with this. Be careful not to heap unnecessary guilt and burden on yourself. That's not the point of this. Don't go there. But does the money that you spend on your hair and fashion honor God and other Christian women? Self-indulgence does not show love and care for others. See, a self-indulgent woman will place too much emphasis on her appearance, which will weaken her to much temptation, and her beauty will be self-seeking. But a self-controlled woman will place her greatest emphasis on being well-dressed by Christ, which will make her strong, and it will make her beauty selfless. God has called you women to self-control, and he will be faithful to you to help you discern what that looks like in your life. He'll be faithful to you if your heart is with him on this. Well-dressed women of the church should be, number five, women of humility. The end of verse nine is very instructive. The, The end of verse nine shows that Paul's primary point was not avoiding outfits that are too revealing or illicit lust in men, though though that that is good to think about those things. Paul contrasts respectable apparel like this, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Ladies, you can relax here, okay? Uh, You may braid your hair. You may have a beautiful haircut, okay? That's fine. Uh, A a wonderful hairstyle. You, You may accessorize. You may wear nice clothing if you like. Paul is not outlawing those things, but don't miss what Paul is getting at and and really take this to heart. In Roman society, a woman's hair was a really, really, really big deal, much more than it is today. A woman's hair was her status symbol and the major focal point of her beauty. Women would invest excessive hours on elaborate braids and hairstyles. Some had cosmetic teams working with them on their hair. Hairstyle, oh, that sounds, no, no, no. Hairstyles would, would rise from a woman's head like towers decorated with dazzling gems and gold and pearls and expensive adornment. A woman's hair displayed her wealth and status. Paul also mentioned costly attire. Some women wore expensive designer clothing. And maybe for the women in Ephesus, it was imported beautiful cloth, uh, which made a statement about their affluence. Imagine how an opulent hairstyle and expensive clothes might impact the other women of the church. Some from much humbler means. And how hair and clothes can distract from prayer and worship in church. Now this illustration, I hope, helps you. We've all seen it, but, but you've seen the beautiful bride adorned for her husband on her wedding day. And some decent money usually goes into that dress. And I will say that maybe more time than usual time is invested in the hair and the makeup. And this is fitting for that celebration. I think that's appropriate. But imagine a woman showing up 
uh, for church adorned with the same level of luxury and radiance as a bride. Her beauty would be selfish and distracting and would contradict the very purpose of her arrival for worship, to present herself to God in humility and dependence, not pageantry. One commentator helpfully noted, quote, this is not a ban on elegance or a certain sort of style, but on flashy luxury or or a provocative appearance that not only could stir up envy or lust, but also is altogether out of place when a sinful creature presents herself before God and comes to implore his mercy. End of quote. It, it would be very foolish to approach God with flashiness and displays of wealth and status. How unfitting. We come to God from a position of great need to receive from God. So humility is more appropriate attire. Subtlety, modesty, and humility show great love for God and others. I I don't think Paul has special occasions in mind here, uh, though his principles should inform a woman's choices for those special occasions too. But he he was informing women how to dress when coming into the presence of God with brothers and sisters in Christ. God wants a woman focused on Christ and their hearts and to not compete for the glory that is due only God alone. Ladies, would you um, just consider uh, carefully the following question? For whom are you trying to look beautiful? Now, there are some good answers to that, some various answers, but there is only one preeminent answer, only one. The utmost desire of your heart, ladies, should be to try to look beautiful for God, to try to look beautiful for God. That one thriving desire in your heart will help you in countless ways. It will help you to apply the principles that Paul is getting at. Ask God to give you that desire that you would be most concerned about being beautiful in the sight of God, which pushes you right into the righteousness of Christ imputed to you that he has dressed you in. God has graciously adorned you with the beautiful robe of Christ's righteousness. And ladies, you look stunning in that robe. And when you put too much emphasis on your external adornment, you show distaste and ingratitude for the adornment God has given you in Christ. But when your external adornment flows out of your gratitude for how God has clothed you in Christ, your beauty is radiant for the glory and pleasure of God and entirely corresponds to the occasion of prayer and worship and life. So this brings us to the last point. Well-dressed women of the church should be number six, women of beneficence. And I know that's a, that's a fancy pants word, I know, but it fit, so I used it. Beneficence is active goodness or kindness. It's, it's doing good things. Beautiful daughters of the king adorned themselves with godliness and good works. Godliness and good works are always appropriate to wear. You never have to take it off. It's always fitting. You'll always be well-dressed with godliness and, and good works. A woman who professes godliness and that she is clothed in the imputed righteousness of Christ must put on good works which display the fullness of her beauty which is the superlative beauty of Christ radiating from that woman. 
As she relies on Christ and works good things, the beauty of Christ is seen in her kindness, seen in her generosity, seen in her encouragement, seen in her selflessness, seen in her warmth, seen in her hospitality. Our experience and and Scripture itself attest to the fact that God does gift some women with extraordinary physical beauty. Some women are more physically beautiful than others. Same with men. Leah and Rachel in Genesis 29, verse 17, they, they, they confirm this. But Scripture does not direct women to strive after physical beauty, but beckons them to pursue the completeness of her beauty in Christ. It does talk about that a lot. See, human beings are naturally superficial, and they look primarily on the outward appearance. But God, the Lord, looks on the heart. Consider this. Jesus is supremely beautiful. And yet Isaiah prophesied that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. The beneficence of Jesus made Jesus supremely beautiful. His beneficence. Now, 1 Peter 3, 3 through 6 is a great exposition of 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. Listen to how Peter put this. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Physical beauty is a wonderful gift. But ladies, it is perishable. It is perishable It is fleeting, ladies, pardon my honesty here, but your physical beauty is fading fast. Yet there is an imperishable beauty that you possess, the beauty of godliness and good works that overflow from the beautiful heart that God gave you, a beauty appropriate for corporate prayer and worship. Jesus came into this world poor. He he didn't wear designer clothes. He wasn't physically stunning, yet he is ever dressed in radiant modesty, radiant self-control, radiant humility, radiant decency, and radiant beauty. His beauty is defined by the perfection of his heart and his good works. He was never self-indulgent but sought to reveal the beauty and glory of his Father. Jesus was the epitome of masculinity. Yet he also demonstrates for you sisters the attributes of beautiful and strong femininity. Now I talk a lot about the glory of God, supremacy of Christ, and sovereign grace. Where do we see those things? God reveals himself in creation. God reveals himself in scripture. But we see the glory of God, supremacy of Christ, and sovereign grace in ourselves and in each other as well. Now, here is what I mean. We were made image bearers of God. Beautiful image bearers of God. 
Christ has given himself as a ransom for us so that we would be reconciled to God and God's image in us would be fully restored. We have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. As the Spirit works in us men to conform us to Christ, we become men of prayer, dependence, holiness, peace, and unity, and therein the glory and supremacy and grace of God are displayed. As the Spirit works in you women to conform you to Christ, you become women of prayer, elegance, modesty, self-control, humility, and beneficence, and therein the glory and supremacy and grace of God are displayed. And it is very exciting to think about the work that our God, our Father, is doing inside of us. It is very exciting to think about what He is making us into. He is working in you men to make you this kind of men. A man. He is working in you ladies to make you this kind of lady. And to that, we just say, praise God. Praise God for his grace. Father, thank you that you have very honestly given us a word on how we are to dress ourselves. And God, I pray that this does not even smack at all of legalism but that this shouts of the freedom of Christ and that this shouts of how good it is for men and women to be the type of men and women God has has created them to be. God, this is a beautiful picture of what your grace does inside of us to conform us to Christ who is the perfect picture of these things. And we want to be like him because we're your children and we love you and and we want to do this, but we struggle so deeply with these things. And yet, God, you're a wonderful father who gives us much grace and, and helps us to become this type of man, this type of woman. Do a work at Jerusalem Church where our men and women could be beautiful in your sight. You accept us through the merits of Jesus Christ. We are beautiful in your sight. Now, because we're clothed right, help us to live accordingly to how you have dressed us. God, may the most important thing about us be that we have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We have been given a new heart that desires to follow you in these things. So thank you, God. We praise you and we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.